Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome, everybody, to this edition of the World Soccer Talk podcast. I'm your host, Richard Farley. Thank you very much for joining us. I'm here with my normal co-host, Kartik Krishnayar, still filling in for Nipun Chopra, who is in India for the next few weeks. I'm going to be taking you into May. And by then, Kartik, the title race in the Premier League may be decided. But for this show, let's start outside the Premier League. Let's talk about the FA Cup semifinals. Two very entertaining matches this weekend. Manchester United with a 2-1 victory on Saturday over Everton. Book their place in the final. They'll be facing Crystal Palace, who was vaulted into the final on Sunday with a 2-1 victory over Watford. Kartik, let's take him chronologically and talk about Manchester United versus Everton. A very entertaining match in this one. Yeah, Everton were very, very poor in the first half. Uh, to their credit, they came up in the second half, uh, played uh, with much more attacking intent. Uh, Lukaku's finishing touch eluded him, uh, including from the penalty spot. Good, Great save by De Gea there, but uh, much more uh, impetus from Everton. But unfortunately, you would have liked to have seen that from the get-go in this game, and you didn't. And given Everton's uh, need to win a trophy, to win a cup, uh, that they have nothing else to play for in, in the season, their, their league place is pretty much cemented, they're not going to qualify for Europe by virtue of league place, uh, it was uh, a very disappointing performance. Uh, yes, they played well for about 35 minutes, but not well enough, and uh, rightfully Manchester United advances to the final. It's hard for me to ignore the big picture issues around this game, even though we should probably talk a little bit about Manchester United on the brink of a trophy. We'll do that in a second, because throughout the course of this year's worth of shows, this year that you and I are back together doing this show for the first time in three or four years, you have been very consistent in your assessment of Roberto Martinez. It hasn't been a vitriolic assessment. It hasn't been, I don't think, overly critical, but you have expressed doubt throughout the year. And now, after... Everton being excused from this competition in the semifinals after a somewhat poor performance, although I think it's a little bit debatable. A lot of people were blaming Romelu Lukaku for some missed chances. Regardless, like you mentioned, they were on the cusp of some much-needed silverware, and they've come up two steps short. It really seems like the focus is now turning to Roberto Martinez. What's your assessment of him? Do you think Everton should move on? Oh, they have to at this point. I mean, I think you've seen him lose a lot of the players. I think You've seen regression from guys defensively 
they were surviving for a long time because of Lukaku's goals. And uh, one thing that can go away is goal scoring rather quickly. If you're not fundamentally sound at the back, we see this with our league leaders, Leicester City. Their goal scoring, eventually, Vardy and Mara stopped scoring goals. They picked up again now. But mm-hmm. there was a stretch where they stopped scoring goals, but then they were keeping clean sheets, and they stayed right there at the top of the table or second or third the whole time. Never fell out of the top four. Leicester, I don't think, has fallen out of the top four the entire season. Everton, by contrast, stopped scoring goals and because they're so defensively challenged, fundamentally. Uh, uh, huge gaps between center backs, uh, uh, the full backs in, in, in the wrong position. And some of it are uh, the players, right? Some of it is that Leighton Baines is, is clearly regressed. He's come off an injury. He's not defending very well. He's out of position a lot. Uh, some, of, some of that Roberto Martinez can't control, right? But some of it he can. And uh, there's been tinkering with formations, 3-5-2, which he liked at Wigan, going back to a 4-4-2, going back to a 4-2-3-1 at times. And um, it just hasn't worked. It's time to move on for Everton, and I, and I believe they will. Hmm. I've definitely come around on this one. I, when we did that midseason show about best managers in the Premier League, I think you had Roberto Martinez around 12 or 13 or so. I had him at like 7 or 8. And since we've been talking about this, I have really come around to your way of thinking on things. And I think I was just late in evaluating Martinez, or maybe I had a bias. But while I wouldn't say that he needs to go, it's hard for me to think about things in in those terms, in this case at least. I think they would be perfectly justified moving on, given where they are in the table, given how the team has closed out the season in a very unconvincing way. And if they are going to sell Romelu Lukaku this summer they may need to ask themselves who they want reinvesting that money. Who do they want building their next squad? And it might not be Roberto Martinez. Let's talk about Manchester United here. Some, I I can't remember who it was. It might have been, was it Van Hall or Michael Carrick? I can't remember who. But somebody from Manchester United's team saying that if they win the FA Cup, they can look at this as a successful season. I want to ask you about that because that seems like the same logic we've been trying to apply to Arsenal for these last few years, logic that we've kind of scoffed at. Of course, the one big difference is Arsenal was winning FA Cups while still finishing in the top four. Right. Uh, Whereas here, Manchester United... Now, I I should point out that Manchester United does win out in the league. Right. And and there is a winner between Arsenal and Manchester City, whoever wins that game, uh, not a draw, then Manchester United will qualify for... uh, the Champions League next year, regardless of FA Cup or any of that. Now, that having been said, their next game is against Leicester City. So uh, that that just gives you a little taste that they, they don't really have. They, they don't have a straightforward run-in. Uh, would it be successful season? No. But I, I think the FA Cup always kind of confounded me towards the end of Fergie's era because this was a tournament that I, I feel had been devalued by Manchester United. We talk about the romance of the Cup being dead, and it is dead. I, I will freely admit to you, and we're going to talk about the second semifinal shortly, that uh, I, along with just about everybody else I know, was watching Leicester City against Swansea at the same time as that FA Cup semifinal. Five years ago, it doesn't matter if the league leaders are playing in the Premier League, you're probably watching the FA Cup semifinal mm-hmm. if they're, co- if they're uh, running concurrently. So I think that's just a, a sense of where our priorities have changed. Manchester United was the club that devalued this competition. They're the club that pulled out in 1999. They're the club that continuously played reserve players. Uh, their last final, their, their last victory, uh, actually, I think their last final period was 2004 uh, when, when they beat Arsenal, uh, but they have not um, They have not been back to a final since. They often would play reserves, and it was the one thing. Ferguson was continuing to win the league consistently. Uh, he won in Europe. 
got to another year, uh, got to two more European Cup finals in 2009 and 2011 after uh, winning in 2008. Mm-hmm. Uh, never got back to an FA Cup final after 2004. It just wasn't a priority. Oh, they got, sorry, they got to the FA Cup final in 2007. I forgot. And Drogba had that late winner in stoppage time, or excuse me, in extra time. But beyond that, they, this has not been an important competition for them. They have devalued this competition. They led the way in England. Uh, among big clubs to devaluing this competition. So I find it very ironic that Louis van Gaal and Manchester United can turn around now and say, well, it's successful if we win, a, win this cup. Because part of the reason we look down upon the FA Cup now and see it as a secondary competition was because of the legacy of Manchester United relative to this competition. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of happy that Manchester United is taking this competition seriously. Maybe that will lead to a revival of the importance of this uh this cup long term, though I should remind you that they played against. Uh, they they had a. Uh, uh, they were very fortunate to get through the first two, uh, two two rounds of this competition against lower division opposition. But uh, no, it doesn't make it a successful season. Hmm. We've gotten through talking about this game without mentioning Anthony Martial. Another good game from him. Ninety third minute winning goal in this one ends up putting the Red Devils through. Let's talk about Sunday's semi final. Another two one result. Crystal Palace going through over Watford. Yannick Bolasie, Connor Wickham with the goals. For Crystal Palace, Watford with a goal for Troy Deeney. Just as we did with the other one, let's talk about the losing side of this first. And just with, uh, just as was the case with Everton, controversy, or not controversy, but concern surrounding the manager after this loss. And more stories that hint Kike Sanchez-Flores will not be back. Uh, the Pozo family, who made so many coaching changes last year with this club, look like they may not pick up Kike Sanchez-Flores' option for next year. Just your reaction to those stories, Kartik. Watford has not been very good this calendar year. No, I think that they've been poor this calendar year. But uh, what you want to do when you're a club like Watford that has uh, never stayed in the top division, I don't think. Uh, I, I, I don't think since the early '80s they've ever, when they've come up, they've stayed up. Is uh, get those points early, and Kiki Sanchez Flores got those points early, and they were actually probably better than the number of points they had. Uh, for a large portion of the season, they were they, they were performing well, mm-hmm. and I, I feel like uh, he, he really deserves some credit for that. I think he has he did a very good job uh, organizing this team defensively. Now, eventually, Igalo and uh, Dini stopped scoring goals, and they stayed in that four four two formation. It, it wasn't working when he, he tried to tinker four two three one. It was a bit of a problem. Really, didn't have any other solutions. A lot of uh, mis- mishmash of players, right? That that were bought. Uh, in the last couple of transfer windows, particularly this summer, uh, by, uh, I believe, Goodayin, who's now managing Swansea, had a lot to do with some of these buys uh, that Watford had. But uh, so Sanchez Flores had, had a tough job. Uh, we know he's a manager that has not lasted very long most places he's been. Uh, I think he's a fairly good manager, and he, he set up the... Um, the the, 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 the the structure and the system that now uh, uh, Simeone is taking to a whole nother level, right? Yeah, maybe best manager in the world, one of the best clubs in the world with Atletico Madrid, uh, Atletico Madrid. But he, he set that up. A uh, little takeaway from this game is uh, Etienne Capu, who has been their best player of the season, looks like a pretty serious injury. Uh, obviously, their games don't matter the rest of the season, but he won't be back this season. 
and um, maybe seeing a, a whole bunch of new teammates and a new manager next year with Watford. Knowing the Pozo family consortium, probably, he's been a really great story this year because when he arrived at Tottenham, I think a lot of people saw him as a promising player, and as was the case in the pre-Pochettino Tottenham, he kind of just got lost in the shuffle a little bit. Goes to Watford, has reestablished himself, has been one of the better players at his position, not just one of the best players on his team. So an unfortunate ending to kind of a reaffirming season for Etienne Capu. Uh, let's talk about Crystal Palace. Let's stick with the manager here because as is the case for most of the season, Alan Pardew has slightly overshadowed his club, uh, mostly because Alan Pardew has a bit of a narrative to him. And throughout this point in the season, Crystal Palace has fit that narrative where they looked very strong in the first half of the season. Second half struggles has led a lot of people to speculate why Pardew's teams always go through this. The difference here is now that Crystal Palace is in a cup final, people are forgetting that they're in 16th place in the Premier League. People are forgetting that, like Watford, for most of 2016, this team hasn't been that good. I don't know what to think about them, Karti, because the results they've been getting recently, with the exception of the draw at the Emirates, have been against reasonably poor teams, whether it be Watford or Norwich. At the same time, people are going to remember, no matter where they finish in the league this year, that they got to this cup final. Right, well, Arsenal at this time of the year, where something's on the line, is a reasonably poor team also. So, <laughs> you can't put too much stock in them getting uh, getting a point against Arsenal at the Emirates. I mean, it was a great result, but, yeah. uh, I mean, this kind of game well, Arsenal... We, was no, we saw it again this weekend. I mean, it looked like Arsenal had something turned around midweek, and then they can't beat Sunderland. <laughs> right, and we'll get to that shortly in the show. Yeah, I don't know what to make of this, because obviously they, they, there was a focus on the FA Cup going on at both Watford and Crystal Palace, uh, which is uh, an odd thing now, because as we said, most top-flight teams in England just, just kind of toss this, thing, this competition away, led by Manchester United through the years. So, um, I don't know. It, it would be um, it would be quite interesting to see them uh, win the FA Cup and finish seventeenth in the league or sixteenth in the league. It, it's uh, it, especially after having been fifth on Boxing Day. It, it's just it defies all reality because they've won one game in the Premier League since uh, December fourteenth. One game, and they have won now. They have gotten through third, fourth, fifth, sixth. Seventh. They've gotten through five rounds of the FA Cup. So they've won five games in cup competitions and one game in the league over the course of the last uh, uh, four months or so. That, that's just, I, I, I would be, uh, I would challenge some of our historians out there. I guess I'm a, I'm a historian too, but I don't look at, I don't know that I have the time to do this, to find another example of this in recent history, hmm. at least in the Premier League era, where a Premier League team uh, can only win one game in, in, uh, after Boxing Day in the league, but has, has ripped through the FA Cup. And a lot of the FA Cup matches that Crystal Palace drew. Now, of course, they did get by Reading in the last round in the quarterfinals. But everybody else they played have been Premier League clubs. So they're beating Premier League clubs in mm -hmm. the FA Cup. It's not just that they were playing League 1 and League 2 teams and got a fortunate draw. They had to go to Southampton. They had to go to... Did they go to Spurs? I think yeah, they, went they were at White Hart Lane. Yeah, and they've gotten through all these, these, these matches. So it's a bizarre thing and maybe just another indication of... Uh, of parduing, for mm. lack of a better term. I also think that this is a good argument for anybody, and this comes up every year from people that are nostalgic for soccer the way it was 20 years ago. Anybody that wants to argue that we should take these cup competitions more seriously, or every once in a while you hear people saying, well, maybe the FA Cup winners should get a Champions League spot. 
cup competitions are fun to watch and they're exciting to see the bracket unfold and it's interesting to see who the draw favors and who gets bad luck in the draws but they aren't necessarily representative of who are the best teams in a league are. We can see from the broader sample size, and we can see from the last five months of soccer, that Crystal Palace isn't that good of a team. And so to reward the winner of a cup competition with something that a team that plays 38 games and proves themselves to be demonstrably better that might get might get their spot taken from them to give it to a cup winner, I don't know. I like the idea that the cup winners get into Europa League. Europa League's a good tournament. It's not playing for the top prize in Europe. We can be a little bit more lax in who we let in there. But let's not let our romance for these cups fool us into thinking that anybody that wins one of these things is deserving of a Champions League spot. Neither Manchester United nor Crystal Palace, I think, are deserving, even though Manchester United, as you mentioned, still has a really decent chance of getting fourth place in the league. We'll talk about that in a minute. Let's shift to first place in the league, and let's talk about the game that happened on Monday because... Kartik, I want to hear your reaction to it. Tottenham, 1-1 draw at White Hart Lane against West Bromwich Albion. They score in the first half. West Brom gets an equalizer in the second half. Tottenham is now seven points behind Leicester with three games to play. Do we still have a title race in the Premier League? No. Uh, keep in mind, they have to go. Uh, Spurs have to go to Chelsea uh, next week, and Eden Hazard's already gone on record saying that uh, Chelsea would love nothing better. This would be some salvation for their season if they knock Spurs out of the title race. Looks like there's a very real chance <laughs> oh, they could have that opportunity. Now you now. care about now you care about results, Chelsea. Yeah, well, I mean, we talked about it. We talked about it for a couple of weeks that if there was one game that Chelsea would get up for, it would be that game. Yep. And uh, conversely, you don't want to get into conspiracy theories, although it's it's probably not going to matter at this point. If there was a game that they uh, wanted to just mail it in, it would probably be the Leicester game. <laughs> because they don't want Spurs winning the title. Well, it may not matter now, but uh, this game Monday was just... Um, it, it kind of had that feeling. Yeah. Once they didn't get a second goal, like it, it just felt different than the Stoke game last week, where yes, Tottenham, Tottenham immediately started piling on, and it wasn't ever in doubt. Whereas this one... It took them a while to get a first goal, and then it lingered there. And then once West Brom came out of halftime and looked better, it kind of, like you said, had that feeling to it. It had that feeling to it. It didn't from the kickoff, but I would say from about the 20th minute on, it really did. And then they got the own goal, uh, Dawson's own goal. And then you thought, okay, now they're gonna. it's going to be like the Stoke game or it's going to be like the Manchester United game. It wasn't. And you just think about the contrast of yesterday. And we're going to get to Leicester in a minute, but just the, the feeling around that ground, the feeling around just the football world uh, with the way Leicester went about their business yesterday. And we thought, OK, they did this. They did this emphatically, but Spurs are still going to keep the pressure on them and they've got to go to Old Trafford next week. And then they've got an Everton team after that with a manager who's going to be fighting for his life. Uh, you never know what can happen there. And we're thinking we're, 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 we're playing the scenario ahead. But Tony Pulis's teams always tend to get results in these sorts of games. <laughs> They're annoying. They're so annoying. I mean, credit to... I mean, it's not Tony Pulis' job to be anything but annoying. In fact, annoying in this context is a compliment. But they are habitually annoying. I mean, they did it They did it in, obviously, a different manner, but they did it to Liverpool two seasons ago when uh, uh, that, that, that decided the title race that year. When yeah. uh, Pulis threw caution to the wind... Let Palace go for it in the second half. 
down 3-0, and lo and behold, they got three goals back. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and that and was and a it big happened story. the previous time, yeah, yeah. and it happened the previous time with Stokes spoiling somebody at the very end of the season. I cannot remember who it was, but this is the third time in about five or six seasons this has happened with one of his sides. Hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just not a team you want to face because I don't think Spurs were terrible today. They obviously weren't as good as they've been the last couple of weeks, but this is a game that they've drawn or got a win in in other circumstances this year. They obviously got a draw on Monday too, but I just don't feel like killing Spurs over this one. Getting a draw against West Brom, yeah, you don't want it. And I saw somebody retweet something from Ian Dark that said maybe Spurs weren't up to the occasion. Maybe this is just a result that happens occasionally over 38 games. It happens a lot over the 38 games. And it's just, it's ill-timed for Spurs. I just don't think it's a terrible result. It's just one that's probably means that the title race is over. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think that Spurs... You just have to think about it being a missed opportunity, perhaps, for them. But at the same time, they've come so far this season. I mean, at the beginning of the season, when I, I was saying Spurs were going to finish in the top four, I was being laughed out of every conversation, including, I believe, on this podcast by our colleague Lawrence McKenna, who, who just thought that that was absurd, that I thought Spurs were going to finish ahead of Liverpool was one of the teams he took objection to. And I thought Spurs could finish ahead of Manchester United. And again, I didn't have them second. I had them fourth. But uh, that was a laughable notion. And uh, we're getting caught up in the Leicester City story, but I think Spurs and West Ham United, West Ham is very unlucky not to be in third or fourth right now themselves in the league. I think those are stories we have to take uh, also from this season and then look at the, the, the collective youth of the Spurs squad and the long-term plan Pochettino had and the fact that Spurs, for once, Daniel Levy has taken a hands-off approach. He, he trusts his manager and he's letting his manager build something long-term, something different, something special, not based on going and, and raiding the continent and overpaying for players and then trying to flip them after two years. Uh, th- this is a very different Spurs. And they're going to go from fifth last season to almost certainly second this season. Mm-hmm. That's, that's serious progress. And that's a, a progress with a young manager. Now the key, and we'll talk more about this in the next few weeks, make sure he doesn't leave. I don't think Pochettino wants to leave but, uh, Richard, you and I know how Manchester United and Real Madrid, how they'll queue up for his services and, and, and the kind of thing, um, offers they'll make to him. So Spurs have got to make sure he stays long-term. Yeah, things are lining up for Spurs. It looks like the, it looks like there's not the big, big push to get him out, at least this coming offseason. Uh, we've heard Manchester United links, but it seems like Manchester United has other people in mind. Uh, Real Madrid's probably going to go into next year with Zidane. PSG has some other people seemingly linked to them if they move on from Laurent Blanc. In another year, though, people will be lining up for Pochettino, so maybe they'll have another year to consolidate at White Hart Lane. Uh, well, I guess we going to have to get used to not saying White Hart Lane here, huh? That's kind of weird. Uh, let's talk about the other team at the top of the table. Talk about them briefly because it was a very convincing performance by Leicester. 4-0 victory over Swansea, taking advantage of an early error by Ashley Williams. Uh, Rayard Morris scores the opening goal. Leo Ulloa filling in for Jamie Vardy had two of his own. Mark Albrighton finishing the scoring late. Kartik, I say there's not much to talk about here because... At this point of the season, like you said, even though they'd been allowing some goals at some point in the season, not scoring goals at others, everything seems to be clicking for them. Leicester is surging towards this title. Yeah, now it's not just a matter that they're going to win the title. Uh, This isn't going to be them winning the title on the final day like Blackburn did, the other uh, real underdog story. Although less of an underdog story than this Leicester team. (laughs) It looks like they might win this title by five to seven points. They they can win it this coming weekend. 
right. They could win it with a couple of weeks to spare. Uh, just quickly from this game, uh, this, this is how much Leicester is on everyone's mind. So uh, we have our Fort Lauderdale Strikers game. I, I'm once again consulting for the team. I uh, played Jackson Moore Armada the other night in the NASL. We have our post-game meal with the communication staff. What are we talking about at our post-game meal? Well, we first talk about our game and the officiating. Then we're talking about, do you think he's going to go to a 4-2-3? And by he, I mean Ranieri. 4-2-3-1 tomorrow. <laughs> Who's he going to put in? Is Morris going to play in the hole? Everybody in, in, the, in the football world, doesn't matter if it's uh, you know, lower division soccer here in the United States, like uh, the Strikers, uh, yes, uh, team out in Qatar, uh, Thailand, everyone is talking about Leicester City. The conversation inevitably turns to them. And we ended up having this long conversation. You think Mares is going to play in the hole, maybe, and, and you play Okazaki up top? Uh, do you bring a Joa in? Uh, what about Jeffrey Schlupp? Uh, Albrighton. I didn't see Albrighton getting dropped. I thought what would happen is Albrighton might move to the right, play Schlupp on the left, move Mares into uh, Okazaki's position, push Okazaki up. Uh, what in, and then the other question was maybe Andy King starts uh, in, in, in that position and you drop him back a little bit and you play him behind um, Okazaki. Mm-hmm. What Rainieri, in fact, did was start Ajoa in, uh, in Okazaki's position, start Okazaki in Vardy's position, but then get the, the pace from starting Schlupp instead of Albrighton. And what a team guy Albrighton uh, is he, he started the last 28 games, I think it was, and uh, he sit, sat in this match for tactical considerations because you need Schlupp's pace without Vardy in the team, and he takes it like a teammate. He applauds Schlupp off the pitch when he comes in to sub in for him late, uh, goes on and gets a goal of his own, and I have to tell you, the other the other thing that I just really loved was Ajoa is a guy that was the, um, he was the focal point of the attack on, under Nigel Pearson. Mm-hmm. You know, strong, tall target player, not tall, but strong, uh, big target player, target on set pieces, which is the way Pearson liked to play. And um, he's been very much out of the mix this season, almost a forgotten man. When he's been called upon the last two weeks, he's come through in a big way. And he scored an Ajoa goal in this game, a set-piece goal, which is like what he did last year, which is why Pearson preferred him for much of the season to Vardy. Um, So what we're seeing is the guys that uh, Rainieri has uh, made focal points of this team that were kind of on the outs last year, which were Albrighton, drink, uh, Albrighton and Drinkwater in particular, those two guys, and Vardy to a lesser extent, now uh, have carried them towards this championship. But then they're getting support, uh, support from the guys that Rainieri had kind of discarded that were core Pearson players like Schlupp, uh, who's had a lot of injuries. That's part of the reason he's been discarded this year more. And Ajoa. Uh, that just tells you what a fantastic spirit they've got. Uh, even though Rainieri is not the tinker man as much this season, he's still able to tinker enough uh, to, to get those results, much like he did in the Watford game a few weeks ago. Remember, that was a real critical point when Spurs were making a run, and it looked like Arsenal might get back into the race also. Uh, made those two changes at halftime and, and won that game. Uh, fantastic. They, they, this is their title. They've earned it. Uh, and uh, they're... I, I know I've read all these articles that Spurs are the best team in England, but uh, how can you argue with the record? Uh, mm. Leicester are not only a, a, a in front of the table, they're now seven points ahead through 35 rounds. Mm. I, I, it's hard to make an argument that somebody else is a better team than they are. For much of this year, at least a couple of months on this podcast, we were bemoaning how weak this league was because nobody was on pace at certain points of the season to even reach 75 points. Yes, Leicester's at 76 now with three games left. I think low 80s, potential 85. Uh, That's what they're on course to get. 
It's a very respectable. It's like champion. a normal year. It's like yeah. a normal year then. Eighty-seven for Chelsea last year. Eighty-six for Man City the year before. Eighty-nine the two years before. Those were kind of high water marks. Mm-hmm. Um, Eighty the year before that. So uh, it turns out. But again, I don't think the. I think the rest of the league is uh, is weaker. Manchester City could finish third with less points than they finished uh, fifth with uh, in in two thousand. Uh, in well. Uh, less points than they finished third. Uh, far fewer points than they finished uh, third, second with. Uh, they could finish with fewer points than the team that finished fifth in in two thousand and uh, um, in two thousand uh, twelve thirteen season had. But um, Leicester has pulled away. Uh, final thing I'll say about this, Richard, is I did a projection uh, several. I think it's now been two two months or so that played out the rest of the season when they were about. 14 rounds left, and I had Leicester winning the league by one point over Spurs, mm-hmm. two points over Arsenal. If I remember correctly, I have to go back and look at that article, I had Leicester finishing on 74, Spurs on 73, Arsenal on 72 or 71. Yeah. So they've already they've already gotten past that through 35 rounds. They We were thinking which team was going to catch fire. One of these teams was going to catch fire, Man City, Arsenal, or t- Spurs. And Leicester was definitely going to fade. As it turns out, they're the team that caught fire, and they were already top of the table. So they pulled away. Uh, now they're uh, now they're uh, twelve points clear of both Arsenal and Man City, who have been eliminated, and seven points clear of Spurs. So um, one of the stories is we kept trying to find uh, holes to poke in Leicester, and there are none. Yeah. Um... We're talking about how the fa- the fact that they're surging towards the title. They're not only on top of the actual table; they're now on top of the form table to five wins in their last six. Nobody can claim to have a better form record than that. Uh, Tottenham, as you mentioned, are seven points behind, sixty nine points. They are five points up on both Manchester City and Arsenal. Uh, those teams hold the last two Champions League spots. I know some people get upset when we call fourth place a Champions League spot. An English club has never been knocked out in that play-in round, so technically, yeah, they're not in Champions League yet. History tells us they are going to be. Fifth place Manchester United, though, as you've alluded to earlier in the show, uh, they are five points back of those spots, but now, because of the FA Cup weekend, they have a match in hand. If they take that match in hand, they'll be up to 62 points. I think we definitely have to consider them in this race. Let's talk about the two teams that are tied for third in the league, Kartik, because they had very different weekends. Manchester City, a relatively easy weekend against a Stokes team that is fading silently into their good night this season. And then Arsenal, finding another way to drop points. Nil-nil result at Sunderland, which I, I got to admit, this doesn't seem like it's that bad. I mean, Sunderland is fighting for their Premier League lives. Arsenal was on the road. Sunderland has been playing decently for the last couple months, as you've reminded us. So on one level, a nil-nil draw at there isn't that big a deal. On the other hand, you just want to see Arsenal play good for a couple of games in a row, and it's been a while since you could say that about them. Yeah. Well, I mean, given given their tendency to uh, be very inconsistent, uh, they're, they're and considering they've got Norwich next, maybe they're going to play very well in this game and give Sunderland a big break. I I, uh, I just don't know uh, what to say though about Arsenal. They just do not have the mentality to compete at a high level. It's it's just that simple. It seems like it, and uh, I think a lot of people have, uh, in light of the uh, the league's best 11 coming out this week, Metsut Oltzel not being on it, a lot of people looking at him, saying that his form has dipped from the beginning of the season, which is unquestionably true, but Metsut Oltzel was playing on an unreal level for four months this season, and the fact that nobody has picked up the slack 
And the fact that yeah. our, our worst fears, our worst fears that we talked about while Metzold Olsel was so good. Well, what if Metzold Olsel goes back to being the Metzold Olsel usually is, which is for a couple months he might fade away. And nobody has stepped up. We seem to find new reasons to be concerned about Arsenal every show. I don't want to dive into it too much, but a lot of our worst fears about Arsenal have come true over the last month of the season. It'll be very interesting to see if they can hold off Manchester United for that last spot. Of course, City is in the same boat. The difference is City seems to be surging right now. Arsenal is not. Uh, keep walking down the table. Sixth place, West Ham United. They now have a match in hand. They were off this weekend. They are five points off of fourth place. Liverpool is six points off of fourth place. They also have a match in hand. We're going to talk about their result in a second. Southampton is the other team that is still vaguely in the Europa League slash, I guess, slash Champions League picture. That I can't say that with a straight face. Uh, Southampton is only one point behind Liverpool. They have played their full 35 matches at this point. Kartik, let's focus at the other end of the table. We talked about Sunderland for a little bit. They are now out of the drop. 31 points through 34 games is the same as Norwich, but their superior goal difference, they have a 7-goal edge in that column, gives them 17th place. Newcastle United is one point behind both those teams. Norwich and Sunderland are only on 34 games played. Newcastle with 30 points is is on 35. Let's talk about the Magpies for a second because I think they got a point that a lot of people didn't expect them to get this weekend. Against a Liverpool team that has been playing very well both in League and Europa League, Newcastle got a 2-2 result at Anfield. Uh... I was, I wouldn't say shocked by this Kartik, but this is the kind of result that we've been waiting for ever since Rafa Benitez got the job. Yeah, yeah it was a, a stunner. I, I don't know if that point keeps them in the league. It, it, it might not, but if it does, wow. Uh, they came from behind. They looked, they, they just look a different side. And I, I know we don't want to overstate the importance of managers. Uh, I, I think um, poor Steve McLaren, uh, he just. He was just the wrong guy, right? He's the wrong guy for every job, it seems like. Yeah, recently. at but, this point. Uh, yeah, it, but uh, the, 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 it, the difference is noticeable, and I'll tell you why it's noticeable. It's not just the results, and I'm still not, I'm sh- not sure they get out of this. I think the Benitez appointment may have still come too late, right? It might have come a couple weeks too late, but mm-hmm. they, um, they look much more organized. They're not giving up these, these kind of uh, uh, weak goals because of bad giveaways and... and uh, uh, stupid, cynical fouls uh, that, like they were, not even like they were the entire season under McLaren until he got the sack. And uh, there was a resiliency, there was a fight back in this club that they uh, have come from behind two successive games against uh, Manchester City and Liverpool, teams that are much better than them. In fact, against Manchester City, they were unlucky. They should have won that game. Uh, Sergio Aguero's goal clearly offside. I mean, not even close. I don't know how the linesman missed that. And other than that, they really they shut Manchester City down. Manchester City, who've been very, in very good form, as you mentioned, both in Europe and uh, in league over the course of the last month, or basically since Kevin De Bruyne got back, uh, they shut them down. And uh, this Liverpool game, look, uh, they, were, they were bad in the first half. Liverpool was playing as well as they've been playing the last few weeks. But the second half, uh, Benitez made it very simple. They were compact. They hit Liverpool on the break. They got numbers, some individual mismatches. Uh, and uh, uh, if anything, at the end of that match, it felt like Newcastle might get a third and, and steal all three points. So mm-hmm. uh, the big question for Magpie supporters is, was the appointment made too late? And if it was, what incentive does Rafa Benitez have to not exercise that break clause 
in his deal with Mike Ashley and stay in managing in the championship because it's hard to see a manager like Rafa Benitez, who was managing Real Madrid just a little while ago, managing in the championship next season. But the way Benitez uh, organizes his teams, that might be the that might be the surest bet you can make for Newcastle to come right back up. Otherwise. Uh, it's anyone's guess. The championship is extremely competitive. If there's uh, some way to keep him as the manager and keep him happy, wanting him wanting to manage in the championship, um, then do it. If he's going to leave, you're going to need to go after someone like David Moyes who's available. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I thought I thought Newcastle was very good, and Richard, uh, maybe they get out of this. They they, they have a shot. It's entirely possible. As bad as they were playing a couple weeks ago, they have five points through their last three games. If they get five points through their next three games, their last three games, they probably have a pretty decent chance of staying up considering neither Sunderland nor Norwich have proven that they can really It's also worth points. noting they play Aston Villa. One of those three games is against Aston Villa. Mm. Uh, other matches this weekend that we haven't talked about just because there weren't very many implications associated with them. Aston Villa loses at home to Southampton 4-2. Southampton getting two goals from Dusan Tadic in that game. And then Chelsea with two goals from Aiden Hazard win at Bournemouth 4-1. to Let's take our trip into Europe very quickly. There isn't a lot to talk about in Germany anymore, although we could talk about Christian Pulisic some more. I feel like uh, even though he's still... Performing well there, I feel like we talked about the significance of Pulisic last week. Uh, really, the biggest story in, uh, aside from Champions League, probably the biggest story in European soccer is the the race in Spain, where last week you and I were s- expressing tons of doubt about Barcelona. Uh, they had fallen into a tie for first place with Atletico Madrid at, t- at the top of La Liga. Since then, they've had two victories, Kartik, where they've outscored their opponents by a combined 14 goals, 14 to nothing. Uh, one, their their form did not hint that they were capable of that right now. Uh, they had given back seven points in the previous three rounds. Uh, but se- secondly, with only three matches left to play and Barcelona seemingly finding their uh, stride, so to speak. I think it's not too difficult to imagine them winning their last three games and winning this league. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that their their win against Deportivo was really... Well, not only was it 8-0, but it was really important, right, for, for Barcelona's confidence. And that looked like that was the toughest game uh, remaining on the docket for them. But... Atleti continues to get results, and Real Madrid is somehow getting results. Um, I don't know. I still think Barca might drop drop points in one of these last three matches. Yeah. And Atleti's not going to. Although, I shouldn't say that, because Atleti and Real Madrid both have Champions League to worry about, which mm-hmm. uh, which could create... Um, like, can you believe we're talking about Barcelona being the team that doesn't have to worry about Champions League of the three? Yeah, it's it's weird. It's We've just gotten so used to Barcelona performing so well. But again, that just goes back to how good Atletico Madrid is. And uh, like you hinted, they're perfectly capable of taking nine points from these last night... Uh, Last three games, they beat Malaga this weekend one to nothing. Some controversy there with Diego Simeone. We don't have to get too deep into that because the story here really is it. It's really is whether Barcelona can win these last three games. I mean, they're all against teams that they should be beating. There's no huge battles here. They play Real Betis and uh, Espanyol over the next two games. Uh, I think it's at this point, like you mentioned, the. The Deport match looked like it was probably one of their more difficult ones remaining. It was on the road. They scored eight goals in that one. I think, if anything, that tells me that they've woken up. 
Yeah, well, I thought that was going to be their toughest match, and I, I actually thought they might drop points, more points in that game. Uh, maybe it was a matter of timing, coming just days after the Valencia game, where they pulled out of their funk, and it really made a big difference if they pulled out of their funk in that game. Uh, so, yeah, maybe they're home free now. I, I don't know. I just have an expectation that that Atleti's going to is going to see this thing out, get all nine points, and put pressure on Barcelona. And if something goes wrong, if there's a you know a mistake at the back by Jordi Alba or by PK, I mean we're seeing. Uh, I think Mascherano has still played pretty well, but the rest of their back line has been poor. Uh, I, I think you've got a you've got a big problem. No, I mean one of the things they did over this last week was benching Danny Alves because of his poor play. Um, maybe that woke them up. Maybe it reminded them that Luis Enrique is still willing to make some changes, even though these next three games. These next two games are going to be heavily favored, and their most difficult match remaining this year is going to be the Copa del Rey final against Sevilla. Uh, Bundesliga, both Bayern and Borussia Dortmund won. Bayern is uh, seven points up on BVB with three matches to play there, so one more win get or one more BVB loss gets them a fourth straight title, which would be the first time in the modern Bundesliga history that that has happened, remarkable as that is. Uh, probably beyond uh, La Liga, I'm qualifying this because I don't know how to put into context how interesting the championship race is at this point, because a lot of people are just not going to be interested in a second division race. That's perfectly fine. For those of the people that are interested in it, we had a shakeup at the top this week because Middlesbrough had a difficult week. They came into this week uh, leading the league, but then had a very difficult match against Burnley midweek. They ended up drawing that one, and then they drew the weekend at home against Ipswich. As a result, Burnley is now technically in first place on 87 points with a plus 33 goal difference. Middlesbrough, also 87 points, plus 32 goal difference, but Brighton continues to win they are now tied for first place 87 points technically in third place though with a plus 30 goal difference uh further down the table in the championship it's still the same teams still in the same order all of them drew this weekend hall drew at home with leads 2-2 they're on 77 points no chance at this point no realistic chance at this point at least to get into the uh, top two spots actually no mathematical chance either at this point the championship is into its last two weeks a derby is also on 77 points after drawing this weekend at home against Sheffield Wednesday. Sheffield Wednesday still in sixth place in that league. Kartik, let's shift our... Well, by by, by the way, Brighton and Middlesbrough play in the final match of the season. Ooh. At the Riverside. So So that's very likely going to be for one of those two Right. So basically, uh, yeah, so Burnley controls their own destiny. If they win both games, uh, they'll be on 93 points, and uh, there's no way that both the other two teams can get 93 points. Yeah. Uh, But... uh, uh, I, well, I guess all three, Bur- all three, all three, if Burnley three takes four points from these last two games, they're going to be up. Right, yeah, right. So, very um, interesting. So, I think all, all three teams technically control their own destiny because yeah. of that last match. So, it's, it's going to be fascinating. And let me tell you something. If you're that close to going up automatically and Oof. you end up in the playoff, that, that third team, I, I wouldn't want to be them because... Uh, Psychologically, that's very tough to turn yeah. around and then try and... It makes uh, me nauseous even thinking about yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, so that match is going to be at the Riverside Stadium on the last day of the season, May 7th. Uh, whew, Brighton, 
though has won five in a row. They're clearly the hottest team in the second division. Kartik, let's shift our focus to Champions League here very quickly and talk about Manchester City. Uh, it's already been revealed that they're going to be without Yaya Toure for the first leg of their Champions League semifinal. That's going to be on Tuesday. It's going to be in Manchester. It's going to be against Real Madrid. Uh, tell me what your thoughts on are on this matchup. I, I think uh, losing Yaya Toure is big, but they have shown that they're capable of playing without him. They have shown they're capable of playing without him, but if you'll remember the last... Uh, time these two teams played in Champions League at the Bernabeu. Actually, that that leg, not the leg in in the Manchester in the group stage in 2012. Uh, Yaya Toure was just uh, uh, marauding uh, on the counterattack, uh, set up a beautiful goal to Jeco. Was really uh, almost unplayable defensively for Real Madrid in that uh, in that game. Now that was four seasons ago, but still, uh, you know that. Uh, they really view him as as a major threat, particularly with uh, some of the defensive deficiencies, deficiencies we've seen from Real Madrid. So um, I think they're going to feel relieved by this. It appears Cristiano will play, Cristiano Ronaldo. We'll see how effective he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it, it should be a competitive game. I mean, look, uh, Manchester City are, seem to be a completely different team when, uh, uh, when uh, 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 Kevin De Bruyne is fit. And... Uh, that's been the case throughout much of the season, both in the league and in Europe. And De Bruyne is fit right now and is and is uh, feeling confident. And he's he's going to be well rested because he did not play at, at the weekend against Stoke. They didn't need him in that game, obviously. So uh, he's gonna he's gonna come on uh, probably for, fairly refreshed. And uh, anything could happen. This is gonna be this is gonna be very interesting. This this matchup. You got De Bruyne playing. And you've got Aguero in form. You've got a chance. And. Uh, the difficulty for me looking at this is we just don't know how big the divide is between Spain and England, which of course means nothing once two teams get on the field, but how much we really know about these two teams is affected by what we see from them week in and week out. And so much evidence suggests that these Spanish teams are on another level. So we're going to find out. We're going to find out if Manchester City can ascend to that level because it looked very much that, uh, it looked very much that they, were slightly better than PSG, and that's probably the same thing you can say about PSG's relation to Real Madrid in group stage. Uh, whether that tells us enough about this matchup, I'm, I'm not really sure. Uh, the more entertaining of the semifinals to me, Kartik, I don't, I don't know if you feel the same way, is Atletico versus Bayern Munich because of the pure stylistic contrast between the two. You have the best defensive team in the world in Atletico, and against Pierre, uh, Pierre, that's, that's what happened. That's what he's going to be named when he goes and coaches PSG, Pep Guardiola and Bayern Munich, uh, certainly one of the best tacticians in the world and a team that can really score on anybody when things are going right. I just don't know who to pick in this one card tick. In fact, I'm not going to pick, I have no idea what this matchup is going to play out. Like I'm really looking forward to it though. Yeah, I think that this is going to be, this is going to be tough, right, for Bayern, unless they're firing on all cylinders. Yeah, but then it's like, you think to yourself, it is definitely going to be tough, but does that mean they, instead of scoring five goals and winning this one five to two, they they only score two goals and win it two to one? I, I don't know. Well, that's possible, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah then, so it is going to be a tough one. And we saw what Atletico did against Barcelona, which is cut from very much the same cloth that this... Bayern Munich team has been woven from, and you wonder how it's going to be different for Bayern when Barcelona was never really in control of their tie against Atletico, even though they got those two goals when uh, Fernando Torres went out. So I- I'm not sure. Yeah, it seemed like Atleti 
look, and I think a lot of people agree with this, and some of it is with hindsight, but Atleti probably would have just crushed them. Uh, it, it, not crushed them, but it would have been 1-0, one 1-0 nil, one nil for two legs uh, had uh, Torres not gotten sent off. So I think that there's a general sense that um, that this was a situation where they were um, they were able to really dictate the tempo and and the style of play and put their authority on the tie with Barcelona. Now, the general assumption is Bayern isn't any better than Barcelona, and stylistically, they're very similar. So, I think people, maybe we're all over-reading this, over-reacting. People are just assuming Atleti is going to put their foot uh, on uh, Bayern, and that's going to be that. And we saw large stretches of uh, Bayern's uh, tie in the the round of 16 with with Juventus, where they look uh, decidedly Mm second-best. That having been said, when they were good in that tie... They were very good, and Juve is not as slouched defensively. No, they're not at Letty, but they're not exactly uh, a side that leaks goals either. And uh, they were opened up fairly easily when uh, Byron wanted to play. I think a lot of us want to see Atletico in the final just because of the Cinderella story that they are. But at the same time, Byron might be the most talented team in the world. We'll have to see how it how it plays out. We're going to be back with you midweek to talk about those matchups. We're going to look forward to Liverpool in Europa League trying to win their own Champions League spot. They're in the final four of that tournament. But until then, for everybody at World Soccer Talk, I'm Richard Farley. Kartik? Enjoy your football. The World Soccer Talk podcast is a production of World Soccer Talk and is executive produced by Christopher Harris and produced by Richard Farley. You can get the podcast a number of different ways, including Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Audioboom, or you can go to worldsoccertalk.com to download the show directly. To get in touch with one of the hosts, you can reach out to them on Twitter. I'm Richard Farley. Kartik is KKFLA737, Lawrence is L-O-Z-C-A-S-T, Lawscast, and Nipun is Nipun Chopra 7 Don't want to bother with Twitter? Go ahead and reach out via email, richard at worldsoccertalk.com. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 